Hi, I'm Pastor Mark. Some of you know me. Some of you know me. I forget to introduce myself. I think everybody knows me, but not, that's not the case. Um, <clears throat> we have been delighted to be looking at the kingdom of God. Uh, there's this phrase that occurs over and over again in Scripture, the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's the kingdom of heaven, which is a synonymous term. Um, And sometimes we get lost in the bigness of that, and we fail to be clear about what we're talking about when we're talking about the kingdom of God. So we've been trying to get concrete, uh, as concrete as pastors do, uh, with some sermons on, uh, on the who, what, when, why, and how of the kingdom of God. Uh, So the first sermon in the series that I preached on, we talked about the what of the kingdom of God. And so if we could get that slide, I don't seem to have a clicker, which is fine. Um, What is the kingdom of God? We said the kingdom of God is God's authority conspiring with a community of people to restore creation so it reflects the glory of God. It's God's authority is what the kingdom is. Is and we you guys came up with these great pictures that people had drawn in the background and we memorized it so I'm sure you already remember that one. Um, we talked about when is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is already powerfully present. I, I preached this last time and active, uh, yet we're still awaiting for its complete fulfillment. There's ways that if we say, oh no, the kingdom of God is just after I die and go to heaven, or only when Jesus comes back, Jesus came in and said, oh, you're missing it. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. So if you're not living any kingdom, if you're not living what it is, which is, oops, if you're not living under God's authority, and part of this community conspiring to restore creation, if you're not doing that right now, you're missing it because the kingdom of God is at hand. But, but it's going to be fully completed later when Christ comes back. We're not going to see it in its full, even though we can participate in it right now. Pastor Stephanie talked about the who is the kingdom of God. I don't have a slide for that one. The who is, the, the who is that every tongue, tribe, and nation... People from every tongue, tribe, and nation are invited to become part of this kingdom people. That that it crosses borders of language and ethnicity. Uh, The big border of the day, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you're a Jew or not a Jew, that's been obliterated to make room for anyone to come into the kingdom of God. And we see when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it's especially the sinners, It's especially the people who we would think don't belong in a church or wouldn't want to go. It's especially the people that that are on the outside that Jesus says maybe they're in a particular way ready to live under God's authority by simply repenting and knowing that they're not enough. There's particular obstacles that come with thinking that you have it put together, right? So that the kingdom of God can extend that way. What we're going to talk today, talk about today, is the why of the kingdom of God. Why is a big question in our culture. I think there's been a lot of TED Talks like, like why are you doing your small business that you're going to start, right? Why are you doing I, I started running, and then I, I read things about running. They're like, you have to find your why, because if you're going to run 
a marathon or ultra marathon, you have to know why you're doing it. So they, they make a, I've, I've seen a lot of these where they make a big deal about figuring out your why, and then when you hear their why, it's, it's like, what? That, that's not a good, <laughs> I don't know. It's because we're gluttons for punishment. That's why we run long, long distances. Um, but, but there's this idea that, man, if you're going to do something hard, if you're going to persist in something that's difficult, then you need to get clear on why you're doing it. The only thing that's going to sustain you in doing something that has huge obstacles is to know that you really want to do it. If you don't know your why, you're going to quit uh, quickly. So we're coming down to the, the why of the kingdom of God. And as I was, uh, kind of after I'd finished some of my thoughts on, the, on what that is and looking at scripture for why the kingdom of God, uh, a study came across uh, my eyes that uh, was on addiction that made me think about a, a little bit more deeply about this. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, as um, drug addiction was becoming a really chronic, uh, difficult part of American life. There were a lot of studies uh, on rats that had predictable results. Uh, scientists would lock a rat in a cage and they'd have one um, water bottle, they'd have plenty of food, but then they'd have one water bottle that had just regular water and then they'd have one water bottle with an addictive substance, maybe like cocaine or heroin or something in it. And the rat would predictably try both and then keep going back to the drugged water. And they would predictably just go back and back and back until they died. This is, you know, not highly ethical to animal treatment. Um, but it was illustrative of the power, um, people thought, of these drugs to destroy life, to destroy people. Uh, there was another experiment that happened in the late 1970s was published by Bruce Alexander and his colleagues at Simon Fraser University in British Columbia. And what they did was instead of putting one rat in a cage, uh, they got a whole bunch of rats, a whole rat pack, a family of rats. And instead of just putting them in a cage, they put them in the most beautiful rat habitat that they could. The rats were free uh, and able to do rat things like <laughs> reproduce, play with colorful balls, build nests, right? And they gave them, uh, but they still had the same thing, plenty of food and the water and the drugged water. And they found that in this new environment uh, where there were other rats and plenty of things to do, that the rats didn't keep going back to the drugged water, that it was used infrequently, never compulsively, uh, and that, um, that it wasn't a problem that was harming their life. It made me think about some of the things about the why of the, the kingdom of God. Addiction is obviously more complicated than, a, I'm, I'm not trying to say like that's the only thing that's going on in the addiction, right? But it sheds light on the fact that uh, rats, in a similar way to, to all the life I think that God's created, are created for purpose and for belonging. And that when you remove those things, bad things happen. When you cut off our connection and our ability to do a meaningful task, then bad things are going to happen. 
when we look at the, God's purpose in the kingdom of God, the why of the kingdom of God, what I think scripture tells us is that the why of the kingdom of God is because God doesn't give up on his promise to create a place of belonging and purpose for a world full of people he loves. God doesn't give up on creating a world, a a place of belonging and purpose for you or for me. We definitely live in a broken world where it seems to make sense to numb ourselves to life and to what's going on. We live in a world uh, where sin, uh, the disobedience to God uh, that started in the Garden of of Eden uh, cuts us off from relationship with God and with each other. God created uh, in his original purpose, uh, created this wonderful environment for people to be connected with each other and to grow and to have purpose in the world. Uh, And sin came in and destroyed it. But the good news is that God doesn't give up. Right? And this is when we talk about uh, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, over and over again, Scripture points us to the fact that the glory of God, why he's awesome, why he's worthy of our praise, is that he doesn't give up on us when we're far. Like Pastor Lynette was saying about the lost things. God doesn't give up on the lost, separated, isolating, self-destructive us. The why of the kingdom runs throughout. Uh, oh, here we go. Runs throughout this text uh, from Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus teaches us how to pray. His disciples ask him, "How how should we pray?" Uh, and he teaches them a simple prayer. Um, and it starts with the word "our," our Father in heaven. Our. The word "our" in the Lord's prayer signals that it's a communal prayer. It signals that we were never meant to pray this prayer alone. That probably, in the most fundamental sense. Prayer is most alive and most what it's meant to be, not when we're huddled in our prayer closet, but when we're connected with each other. And we can do that in our prayer closet, right? But, but we should always be remembering this is an us thing. This isn't a me thing. That our Father has given us a place in this community Sin has fractured it, but we get to say, are. The word father, over and over again, uh, isn't always, it's not always the word used in scripture for God. Uh, It's used many times, though, in a context of God regathering people. Regathering a, a fractured people and restoring them. 
Uh, one example is in Jeremiah 3, 18 and 19. It says, in those days the people of Judah, so, so the people uh, of Judah have been exiled. Uh, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and, and take a brief history of the ways that God's not giving up. First, in the garden, uh, if we're going to hear the story, the first thing is in the garden that God, uh, that people sin against God, the world is broken, and there's these fractured relationships, damaged relationships, uh, and we start to get things like the first murder, all kinds of evil in the eyes of God. Uh, God contemplates wiping out everything and just giving up on this project of creating this place of belonging and purpose for people. But God doesn't give up. And God, it says, says for, the, for his name's sake, he says, I'm, I'm going to do something else. Uh, God gives a promise to Abraham to create, okay, in this world full of mess, I'm going to create this one family that will become a nation of people that reflect my goodness. Uh, and then you, but he doesn't give up when that people ends up in exile in Egypt, uh, where they're dominated and enslaved. He doesn't give up on his purposes. He brings that people out, even though they don't obey well or understand it. He gives them a law that says, here's how you do it. Here's how you be my people and reflect my goodness. I'll spell it out step by step by step, detail by detail by detail. They're unable to live up to that. And when they fail to obey God and the destruction uh, that's all around in the world is reflected in the people that are supposed to be God's people, God says, well, the consequence is going to be exile. The consequence is that you're not going to be a nation like that anymore. You're going to be dispersed. But there's a promise, and that's what we see here in Jeremiah. There's a promise that there will be restoration. Okay, there's going to be a consequence but I'm not giving up on you yet. There will be restoration. And so God says, in those days, the people of Judah will join the people of Israel, and together they'll come from the northern land, the land I gave your ancestors as an inheritance. I myself said, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation, I thought you would call me father and not turn away from me, from following me. Calling God father is an acknowledgement in a way that the kingdom of God is here. That the relationship with God, that, that restoration where God said, I thought you were going to call me father, it's actually happening now. The waiting is over, Jesus says, that we are the people that God was waiting for him to call him Father, to acknowledge you're the one who's created us for meaning, for purpose. We have a place of belonging uh, in you and through you. In the Hebrew worship system, priesthood was inherited and passed down from father to son. So when we call uh, Jesus Father, he's instructing that we're a new kingdom of priests. Not formed through inheritance, but that we are adopted into God's kingdom by faith. That we don't have to be part of the family line to get the family inheritance. 
Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be part of, of one of those like rich, powerful families? Some of you probably are, right? I, I think of like the, I think it's the Walton family that owns Walmart, right? So if you're born a Walton, right, and, and you have, they have this family business, there's, you, can, you can do all kinds of things, but you're automatically born into a place probably where you're not going to have a hard time finding a job, right? If you want a job, then somebody's going to be looking out for you that you can get a job that fits with who you're created to be in a way that uses your gifts to the best level. They're probably not just going to make you a greeter unless that's your best gifts that you have to offer. Um, and, and you automatically are given a place of belonging and of purpose in something that, uh, that's big and important. That's in a different way, you know, the, the kingdom of God isn't Walmart. Um, but in a different way, that's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. That you're adopted in to the family. That's where, when it says, uh, our father, when it says our father in heaven, it's talking about the bigness of God's purpose. It's reminding us that God's authority and sphere is the most important one. It's bigger than the day-to-day. That, when, that, that, we, that our Father is actually the most important one. And that we're adopted into his purposes and to his family. When we put our faith in Jesus, we become part of the kingdom of priests. We already have a place of belonging and a place of purpose. We're guaranteed a life as part of that kingdom. And when we're reconnected uh, to that place of purpose and belonging, uh, we come to the next uh, the next word of that, that prayer, the famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer, hallowed, hallowed. Uh, I think sometimes we think of, uh, we, we don't really use that. Uh, hallowed basically, uh, I don't know, it's like when, when you get stuck on something, you don't trans, they quit translating it into the new English. It's like Shakespeare. Like, why don't we just like translate it? Because it's not really the English we speak anymore, but... Um, but we just stick on it. So hallowed uh, means set apart or holy or sanctified. Uh, it means that we give it honor or glory. And as people, uh, we're particularly set up in a way to give glory to figures that don't quit on an important task. Have you ever noticed the stories that we see and consume? Uh, it's Almost always, almost every story that rivets us, that captures our attention, uh, that makes us feel the way we want to feel at the end of a movie, uh, is a story where there's a figure that we can identify with that overcomes crazy obstacles in unexpected ways in order to fulfill an important purpose. 
Uh, it's the same for Rocky as it is for Sleepless in Seattle, right? Uh, Pixar uh, has shared a lot about their story-making process, right? And, and they talk about, okay, it's important to have a sympathetic figure, uh, and then it's important for that figure to have a, a big problem that needs to be solved and to try every single possibility that, they, that you would think makes sense, and that each of those possibilities fails until they finally have to do the thing that's the hardest of the hard. It's the hardest of the hard, and often it's not external anymore. It's not just swimming across an ocean or whatever the Pixar characters do. It's something that's internal, where their beliefs and attitude changes at a deep level. The hardest of the hard. We're set up to honor figures that do that. It's kind of innate in who we are that we would give glory and honor when that happens. And so it's set up that the why of the kingdom uh, is, is the glory of God revealed when he overcomes the hardest of the heart to give us a place of belonging and purpose. I have a couple scriptures with them. We'll leave that up there. This is clear in Isaiah uh, chapter 29, verses 22 through 24. I don't have it up on slides. You can, we have some pew Bibles, and if you brought a Bible, you can look it up. Isaiah chapter 29, verses 22 through 24. God says, no longer will Jacob be ashamed. No longer will their faces grow pale. When they see among them their children, the work of my hands, they will keep my name holy. They'll, they'll make my name hallowed. They'll acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who are wayward in spirit will gain understanding. Those who complain will accept instruction. So when the people of God come back to being part of God's kingdom, to calling God Father, to acknowledging their place and their purpose, then God's name will be glorified because that's what it was supposed to be all along. But it got so hard. It got so hard that delivering them from Egypt, freeing them from slavery, wasn't enough. It got so hard that giving them the clearest, absolute instructions, a step-by-step... -step. Have you ever done Legos with kids lately? Legos have like every single step so that you can do the thing. It's, if, you, if you just do the steps, you can do it, right? So God gives them, like, Lego for three-year-olds instructions, right? Like, do the things. But it's harder than that. It's harder than that because our hearts are hard. God says, okay, we'll do consequences, Right? I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, look, if you don't do it, if, your heart, if, you, if you don't follow these instructions and these rules, like, right, you'll have to be outside. You'll have to be exiled. That's the, that's the way it's going to be anyway. I'm not going to shield you from the consequences of running away from the source of life, right? 
That's the way it's going to be. And so they, they're exiled. And they still have the law. They could go back and follow it. But they don't. Their hearts aren't changed. It's harder than that. In Ezekiel, uh, I keep pressing that one. It's not what I need. In Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 22, 23, God says, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. To be clear, he says, it's the name you have profaned among the nations. The name of God doesn't have glory because it's like, oh, who cares? His people are scattered. They don't do what he says. They're nothing special. The name that you've profaned among them, the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you, this is the crux of it, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and carefully keep my laws. The thing that we've been unable to do over and over and over again. The thing that God has come to rescue us from over and over and over again and given us every logical chance and step and way. But it turns out it has to be the hardest of the hard. That it's not an external victory over slavery that's going to do it. It's not writing down the right instructions that's going to do it. It's that by the sacrifice of Jesus, by Christ's death and resurrection, that our heart of stone can die with Jesus and we can receive a new heart of flesh, a heart that's able to participate in the purpose and the belonging that we've been called to all along. We can't, we can't do it on our own. And the kingdom of God exists, praise God, through the sacrifice of Jesus to restore us, to bring back to life what's dead, to put us in a place where we can, you know, not choose the drugged bottle, right? Like where there's, where we're given the heart uh, to not self-destruct and to destroy each other. Um, But it only comes through dependence and faith in Jesus. It doesn't come by mustering it. It doesn't come by willpower. Uh, it doesn't come by just the right trick. But it only comes through something that, um, that is maybe harder than we think, of humbling ourselves and admitting that we need someone to replace our heart. That's where it comes from. And that is the hope and the why of the kingdom. And when we experience that, we give glory to God. 
because we know that God has overcome the hardest thing. The thing that broke, that cannot be put back together. God's done it through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when we start to experience that in our lives, in our community that conspires to see God's purposes go forward in the world, uh, when we start to experience that uh, and open ourselves to it in dependence on Jesus, we give God more and more glory because we see it. And the farther we get into it, we also see uh, some of our sins still there. So we see the odds are stacked against it, right? We see, oh man, this is so hard. There is no hope outside of a miracle for me to go from being self-destructive and others destructive and creation destructive, politically destructive. There's no way for us to go from that to a garden of Eden where everyone belongs and has a purpose, right? There's no way outside of Jesus. And when we start seeing it, we give him glory so that when we come and we worship on a Sunday, uh, we're not worshiping even when bad things are happening. We're not worshiping downcast, but we're worshiping, worshiping because God's doing it, because we're seeing it, because we're living it, because we're depending on it. We're asking for it. As we close our, uh, our time in the Word, I'm going to invite the um, worship team uh, and the ushers, uh, the, the communion servers, up as we pray. Uh, we have a chance to receive the Lord's table, um, which is uh, when you receive it, uh, you'll hear someone say, the body of Christ broken for you. Uh, you'll experience that, that what we're talking about is our Father, uh, that we do it, we do take communion, we take the Lord's table together, and that somebody who's adopted into God's kingdom can serve as a priest to you, not because they're perfect or have it together, but because they can offer you what they've been offered, which is a new heart through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Before we go into this time, I want us to close in prayer, um, but I want us to close in the Lord's Prayer uh, and to say it together. Uh, Let's just uh, recite this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.